Welcome to Manna for Breakfast, the daily Bible reading devotional which chronologically takes you through the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation in one year. Grab a cup of coffee and your Bible and join us as we journey together through God's Word. Good morning, everyone. Happy Cinco de Mayo. Cinco de Mayo here in Mexico. Huge celebration. Not really. It is respected and celebrated in certain, probably pueblos, certainly Puebla over there. But interestingly enough, it's much more widely celebrated in the United States than it is here. And uh, we're going to get into why, or well, not why, but we're getting into what uh, Cinco de Mayo is. The 5th of May is today. Yesterday was <laughs> May the 4th be with you. Today is May the, May the 5th be with you. Cinco de Mayo commemorating this day in 1862 when a fledgling Mexican army defeated a much larger and better equipped French forces. The French looking to set up a French empire in Mexico, had invaded with 8,000 troops on May 5, 1862. The much smaller Mexican army of 4,000 troops defeated the French near Puebla, providing a large morale boost for the Mexican population. However, a year later, the French came back with 30,000 troops and were able to defeat the Mexican army and installed the Emperor Maximilian I as ruler over Mexico. This victory, too, was short-lived. After the Civil War in the United States, the U.S. was able to provide support to Mexico to help them expel the French. The U.S. in the United States, Cinco de Mayo, has become a time to celebrate Mexican-American culture. In other words, it's time to get drunk. Not for the Mexicans only, for everybody. I come from, sorry, I come from New Mexico, and it's a widely celebrated there. Party time, party time, party time for so many people. Um, Big Mac is released on this day in 1968. The McDonald's Big Mac makes its nationwide debut <laughs> on this day. And who doesn't remember the, the uh, two all-beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions, and on a sesame seed bun. Very important cultural stuff here. And that's about it, sadly. The only continental U.S. deaths in World War II. Pregnant women and five Sunday school children are killed when they discover an accidentally detonated Japanese balloon bomb that had landed in southern Oregon. It was believed that they didn't know what it was. They kicked it, and it exploded. Guess the Japanese... We're fond of floating balloons over the U.S. and trying to drop bombs that way. That's very sad. Well, on a much lighter note, let's look at some of the dad jokes this morning. Okay, let's try. I can tolerate algebra, maybe even a little calculus, but graphing is where I draw the line. (laughs) Okay, uh... My wife said if I bought her one more stupid gift, she would burn it. So I bought her a candle. <laughs> oh, that's good. All right. We shall move over to the reading for this morning. We are in uh, Judges 18 and on the calendar, if you follow 
the reading calendar and just says Judges 18, just one chapter today. And I thought, well, that's kind of goofy. Some other days they give us four. So anyway, I added chapter 19 today. Just balance it out that way. Tomorrow, instead of having three chapters, we'll have two. So with that, let's go ahead and pray and ask God to bless our day. Father, thank you for this morning. And we are here. We're ready. We uh, we have our minds attuned, Father, or at least we're trying. Reveal your word to us. Open us up, God. Help us, help us spiritually discern these things so that we may joyfully go about our day and as well hold on to these truths so that we might share them and bring life to others who are in darkness. In Jesus' name, amen. Judges 18. In those days, there was no king in Israel. And in those days, the tribe of the Danites was seeking an inheritance for themselves to live in. For until that day, an inheritance had not been allotted to them as a possession among the tribes of Israel. So the sons of Dan sent from their family five men out of their whole number, valiant men from Zorah and Astral, to spy out the land and to search it. And they said to them, Go search the land. And they came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah, and lodged there. When they were near the house of Micah, they recognized the voice of the young man, the Levite. And they turned aside there and said to him, Who brought you here? And what do you have here? And he said to them, Thus and so has Micah done to me, and he has hired me, and I have become his priest. They said to him, Inquire of God, please, that we may know whether our way in which we are going will be prosperous. The priest said to them, Go in peace. Your way in which you are going has the Lord's approval. Then the five men departed and came to Laish, and saw the people who were in it living in security after the manner of the Sidonians, quiet and secure, for there was no ruler humiliating them for anything in the land, and they were far from the Sidonians, had no dealings with anyone. When they came back to their brothers in Zorah and Estral, their brothers said to them, What do you report? And they said, Arise, let us go up against them, for we have seen the land, and behold, it is very good. And will you sit still? Do not delay and go to enter to possess the land. When you enter, you will come to a secure people with a spacious land, for God has given it into your hand, a place where there is no lack of anything that is on the earth. Then from the family of the Danites, from Zorah and from Estaol, 600 men armed with weapons of war set out. They went up and camped at kiriath Jerim in Judah. Therefore, they called that place Mahane, Dan, to this day. Behold, it is west of kiriath Jerim. They passed from there to the hill country of Ephraim and came to the house of Micah. Verse 14, Then the five men who went to spy out the country of Laish said to the kinsmen, Do you know that there are in these houses an ephod and household idols and graven images and molten things? Now therefore consider what you should do. They turned aside there and came to the house of the young man, the Levite, to the house of Micah and asked him of his welfare. The 600 men with their weapons of war, who were the sons of Dan, stood by the entrance of the gate. Now the five men who went to spy out the land went up and entered there and took the graven image and the ephod and the household idols 
and the molten image while the priest stood by the entrance of the gate with the 600 men armed with weapons of war. When these went into Micah's house and took the graven image, the ephod, the household idols, and the molten image, the priest said to them, What are you doing? And they said to him, Be silent. Put your hand over your mouth and come with us. And be to us a father and a priest. Is it better for you to be a priest of the house of one man or to be the priest of a tribe and a family in Israel? The priest's heart was glad, and he took the ephod, the household idols, and the graven images, and went among the people. Then they turned and departed and put the little ones and the livestock and the valuables in front of them. When they had gone some distance from the house of Micah, the men who were in the houses near Micah's house assembled and overtook the sons of Dan. And they cried to the sons of Dan, who turned around and said to Micah, What is the matter with you that you have assembled together? He said, You have taken away my gods, which I made, and the priest, and have gone away. And what? do I have besides? So you can say to me, what is the matter with you? The sons of Dan said to him, do not let your voice be heard among us or else fierce men will fall upon you and you will lose your life with the lives of your household. So the sons of Dan went on their way. And when Micah saw that they were too strong for him, he turned and went back to his house. Then they took what Micah had made and the priest who had belonged to him and came to Laish, to the people quiet and secure, and struck them with the edge of the sword, and they burned the city with fire. And there was no one to deliver them, because it was far from Sidon, and they had no dealings with anyone. And it was in the valley, which is near beth Rehob, And they rebuilt the city and lived in it. They called the name of the city Dan, after the name of Dan, their fathers, who was born in Israel. However, the name of the city formerly was Laish. The sons of Dan set up for themselves the graven image. And Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Manasseh, he and his sons were priests to the tribe of Dan until the day of captivity of the land. So they set up for themselves Micah's graven image, which he had made all the time that the house of God was in Shiloh. I'll stop there just for a minute and look at this because it's so, it's so crazy that these men... Essentially, the Danites are discontent with the land that God had given them and their inheritance. And say they go up, there's too many Philistines down there, too many chariots. We think we'll go up and look for another place. Oh, here's a place that's nice, beautiful, and Dan is gorgeous up in the north. Probably the prettiest place I've been to, and I think in Israel, with the beautiful uh, flowing streams, really the, the, the Jordan, the mouth of the Jordan starts up there and flows out, and uh, there's beautiful trees, and it's just gorgeous. Anyway, they decide this is an easy place to take. There's nobody up here to uh, just don't really have an army. So they themselves desire to do this, not really God's will for them. And <clears throat> as we saw, every man in those days did what was right in their own eyes, including worship. They had missed, totally gotten off track in their worship, and, and their spiritual leaders were no better because their spiritual leaders, like this young Levi, was like, hey, you got a bunch of idols in your house, molten images? Yeah, great. Yeah, we can worship Yahweh with those. So they were, they were falling into polytheism. Sure, we'll just throw in Chemosh along with, uh, with our worship of Yahweh. No problem. Although Chimach just happened to like <laughs> uh, the blood of young of young babies, that kind of thing. So it was just horrible what was going on. And no <clears throat> no better the Danites come up and go, hey, look, we're going to go up to Dan and we're going to take you and all those other gods. 
we, I mean, if we're going to worship spiritually, let's worship a ball, you know? And so this, uh, it's crazy that they go up there, take the city and immediately set up. We find out this molten image is they're going to set up a golden calf is what they set up. And the altar is still there today. When you go on tour up there, they show you where the altar was. One of the two main um, altar um, worship places in the north. When uh, when the the tribes when the two tribes split up, we saw that last night in church, as we were looking where uh, David becomes king over the south, and you have Ishbosheth in the north, and that will that will eventually um, propagate the split under Solomon and the permanent split, and then they go up there. And these Danites start, you know, everybody in the north begins worshiping this golden calf in a big way. Very sad what happened here. And it's just sad that people can so easily get off track. That's why we have to be careful, respectful, but careful of people that like to put up little idols in their homes. You always look for opportunities to share with them what the Bible says. Because we all have family members that like to put up little statues, uh, little altars in their home, very religious. They, you know, profess a love for God, just like this priest did, just like the Danites did, but they get misdirected by deception. And you have to tell them, <laughs> uh, Grandma, God doesn't want us to have any kind of image, um, not even his mother nothing that we put a candle to or any burn anything to and so he just wants us to worship him his son so these are the kinds of things we've got to we've got to be careful of and be a sensitive to because these these israelites they had they were like clueless their spiritual leaders were clueless at this time at least some of them were clueless others probably knew much better than they should have chapter 19 now a levite's concubine degraded now this is again another levite uh, in a different, whole different situation <laughs> going through the land, we see how, how corrupt uh, these pagan gods, what they had done to Israel. We find out now why God said you must, you must expel them from the land or else they will destroy you. And we might have to probably have to get to chapter 20 to get all the details. But uh, this, is, this is the beginning of, of the story, of the sad thing of what happened to the concubine of this Levite and... Um, and how corrupt and low uh, men can sink when they walk away from God and forget their God. Now it came about in those days when there was no king in Israel that there was a certain Levite staying in the remote part of the hill country of Ephraim who took a concubine for himself from Bethlehem in Judah. But his concubine played the harlot against him, and she went away from him to her father's house in Bethlehem in Judah. And was there for a period of four months. Then her husband arose and went after her to speak tenderly to her in order to bring her back, taking with him his servants and a pair of donkeys. So she brought him to her father's house, and when the girl's father saw him, he was glad to meet him. His father-in-law, the girl's father, detained him, and he remained with them three days. So they ate and they drank, and they lodged there. Now on the fourth day, they got up early in the morning, and he prepared to go, and the girl's father said to the son-in-law, Sustain yourself with a piece of bread, and that you may go afterwards. So both of them sat down, he ate and drank together, 
And the girl's father said to the man, Please be willing to spend the night and let your heart be merry. Then the man arose to go, but the father-in-law urged him so that he spent the night there again. Then on the fifth day he arose to go early in the morning, and the girl's father said, Please sustain yourself and wait until the afternoon. So both of them ate, and when the man arose to go along with his concubine, the servant, the father-in-law, the girl's father said to him, Behold, now the day is drawn. To a close, please spend the night, so the day is coming to an end. Spend the night here that you, your heart may be merry. Then tomorrow you may rise early for your journey so that you may go home. But the man was not willing to spend the night. So he arose and departed and came to the place opposite Jabus, that is Jerusalem, and there with him a pair of saddled donkeys, his concubine also with him. And there were near Jabus, the day was almost gone, and his servant said to his master, Please come, let us turn aside to the city of the Jebusites and spend the night in it. However, his master said to him, We will not turn aside to the city of foreigners who are not the sons of Israel, but we will go on as far as Gibeah. And he said to his servant, Come, let us approach one of these places, and we will spend the night in Gibeah, or Ramah. So they passed along and went their way, and the sun set on them near Gibeah, which belongs to Benjamin. And they turned aside there in order to enter and lodge in Gibeah. When they entered, they sat down in the open square of the city, for no one took them into the house to spend the night. Then behold, an old man was coming out of the field from his work that evening. Now the man was from the hill country of Ephraim, and he was staying in Gibeah. But the men of the place were Benjamites. And he lifted up his eyes, and he saw the traveler in the open square of the city. And the old man said to them, Where are you going, and where do you come from? He said to him, We are passing from Bethlehem to Judah, to the remote part of the hill country of Ephraim, for I am from there. And I went to Bethlehem in Judah. Now I am going to my house, and no one will take me into his house. Yet there is both straw and fodder for my donkeys, and also bread and wine for me, your maidservant, and the young man, who is also your servant. There is no lack of anything. The old man said, Peace to you, only let me take care of all your needs. However, do not spend the night in the open square. So he took him into his house, and gave the donkeys fodder, and washed their feet. And they ate and drank. While they were celebrating, behold, the men of the city, certain worthless fellows, surrounded the house, pounding the door. And they spoke to the owner of the house, the old man, saying, Bring out the man who came into your house, that we may have relations with him. Then the man, the owner of the house, went out to them and said to them, No, my fellows, please do not act so wickedly. Since this man has come into my house, do not commit this act of folly. Here is my virgin daughter and his concubine. Please let me bring them out to you that you may ravish them and do to them whatever you wish. Do not commit such an act of folly against this man. But the men would not listen to him. So the man seized his concubine and brought her out to them. And they raped her and abused her all night until morning and then let her go at the approach of dawn. And as the dawn began, as the day began to dawn, the woman came and fell down at the door of the man's house where her master was until full daylight. When her master arose in the morning and opened the doors of the house and went out to go on his way, then behold, the concubine was laying at the doorway of the house with her hands on the threshold. He said to her, Get up, let us go. But there was no answer. Then he placed her on the donkey. The man arose and went to his home. 
When he entered his house, he took a knife and laid hold of his concubine and cut her into twelve pieces limb by limb and sent her throughout the territory of Israel. All who saw it said nothing like this has ever happened or has been seen in that day when the sons of Israel came up from the land of Egypt to this day. Consider it, take counsel, and speak up. The Bible is never boring. <laughs> you can say that much about it. We have this bizarre story of the concubine of the Levite. And he goes back down to, to win her back. <laughs> I mean, he obviously cared about her to some degree, I guess. And brings her up and stays in this, in this city, in this town. And the men come that want him. This is really, you know, sounding a lot like Sodom and Gomorrah. Almost the same, same situation with Lot. And here, and so you see not much it improved um, from the time of Abraham and Lot all the way up now that they're in the land and, and what's going on there. So he, we don't, under, uh, don't understand all of the cultural aspects of this. Obviously, once you came under the roof of someone, that person in that culture in the, in the Middle East, they, they took full responsibility for you. I mean, it's quite amazing. If you came under their roof, they were responsible for your health and safety. And they took it very seriously. So he says, you cannot touch this man. He's under my roof. But here's my virgin daughter. Now, that makes no sense to me. It never will. Uh, I, I, I don't know if he assumed that they wouldn't reject that idea. And he was just trying to make, uh, trying to calm their, them down. But the concubine being sent out, again, that is bizarre. And... Uh, there's no, for me, there's no really understanding of it or no justification for it. I don't think it was God's will at all. In my mind, that's something they did in error, and these men take this woman and they rape her to death. And so the Levite at least realizes that this is a great sin against God. He doesn't just blow it off and go, well, well, it's just a concubine or something. So so he takes her, goes home, and he um, cuts her up in 12 pieces and sends her out to all the tribes of Israel. Now, did he put an explanation that it was something he did? And my guess is no. My guess is he's doing this for shock value, and he may have wanted them to think that this was done to her. Um, whatever the case, the result, he got, he got the results. People say, this has never been done. This is horrible. And in this sense, we see at least there were still some moral standards in Israel. There was still a large population that were not completely debased in their, in their thinking and their lives because they said, this is, this is a horrific murder and it was done by one of the tribes of Israel. We've got to deal with this. And so that's what we're going to see happen tomorrow as they decide to take, take action into their hands. And it, God will be using this horrible situation to judge those people in Israel that had, again, fallen into the worship of their gods because it was the worship of those foreign gods that got these people into this kind of horrible sexual immorality that they were so willing to um, abuse people unto death. So very, very sad. Charles Spurgeon, why remain captive? The Lord thy God will turn thy captivity. Deuteronomy 33. God's own people may sell themselves into captivity by sin. A very bitter fruit is this of an exceeding bitter root. 
What a bondage it is when the child of God is sold under sin, held in chains by Satan, deprived of his liberty, robbed of his power in prayer, and his delight in the Lord. Let us watch that we come not into such bondage. But if this has already happened to us, let us by no means despair. But we cannot be held in slavery forever. The Lord Jesus has paid too high a price for our redemption to leave us in the enemy's hand. The way to freedom is return to the Lord than God. Where we first found salvation, we shall find it again. At the foot of Christ's cross, confessing sin, we shall find pardon and deliverance. Moreover, the Lord will have us obey his voice according to all that he has commanded us. And we must do this with all our heart and with all our soul, and then our captivity shall end. Often depression of spirit and great misery of soul are removed as soon as we quit our idols and bow ourselves in obedience before the living God. We need not be captives. We may return to Zion's citizenship, and that speedily. Lord, turn our captivity. Amen. There's a lot of us that get ourselves into captivity. Um, really, by our own actions and by our own rebellion, and we find ourselves there. And the Lord it bids you to come back. So what we saw last night at church, David had been down in Ziglag for so long, and... Uh, and God burns up all his, everything that he had gained in the world got burned up, but he did spare his family. And he finally cries out to God, and God restores him to full fellowship and then blesses him. And he goes to Hebron, and God starts doing amazing things. So God can always, always turn our captivity and bring us into fellowship and bring us into them and bring us into a sense of peace and joy and, and lift us up out of the depression. That's so key, so important. So let's pray for that. Father God, thank you for this morning and thank you for, for giving us this special blessing, Father, of your presence, of a knowledge of our relationship and our freedom that we have. And some of us, God, have fallen back into the hands of the enemy, into being captives because the enemy's been working overtime the last two years to bring us into a state of isolation and depression and captivity, to remove fellowship and remove public worship and do everything he could, Father. And so it's, it's, it's not surprising that many people would fall into times of despair and depression. But Father, now we find out, we understand how you can lift us up out of that. Bring us into your presence, God. Let us understand your great great love for us. Thank you for all that you're doing and, and thank you, God, that we have, that we worship the one true and living God and we know that we don't have to be confused. We don't have to find, find a, go searching for household idols and set up images and do all of these things trying to reach you. We simply find you right in the midst of our prayer. You're there because you placed yourself there you're the living god and we come before you by by your word and we understand that you are glorified and lifted up as we not only read your word but we apply it we we and we listen to it and we let it guide us and your spirit so we thank you this morning for the things you are doing we ask you to bless everyone's life that's listening this morning everyone that's listening later that's going to catch it on on the podcast 
and that you be just magnified in their life and glorified. No matter the situation, some of us have got some pretty goofy situations, some pretty difficult stuff, difficult things going on. Those that are dealing with health issues, God, that have a cancer and are doing treatments, not, not fun, difficult, often painful. But, Father, you can meet them in the midst of that. As you met Daniel alone in the lion's den uh, in the middle of the night. Whatever it is, Father, you can meet them. Pray that you would strengthen them and that you not allow the enemy to touch them. So thank you for that. Thank you for your healing touch. Please, please heal those that need your touch. Bring in, Father, everything that their bodies need, the vitamins, the minerals, the antibodies, the, uh, the hydration, everything, God to get them back on track, help Francisco, God, be able to sit up and speak in his bed, his mind, the swelling to go down. Pray for that for Juan Carlos, that he can go to the to the cancer treatment center today. We pray that he can have an appointment today, that that would happen, and that he would receive um, very positive, a very uh, constructive news on how to end this, this horrible um, swelling and, and tumor that's growing in his head so we pray for that god and we thank you for the treatments you've been giving to celeste and she's been getting um better at functioning functioning and hopefully the, the cancer's cells are diminishing as well for karen skoog who father needs a big dose of your antibody uh, your your anti-cancer father um whatever it is to put in her body whether it is the treatments she receives, radiation or medicine, or just your hand touching her. We ask you to do that to bring her body into wholeness and that you use Mark and Augusta there to be a big support and prayer warriors for, for her. So thank you for her life. And thank you for the others that you are, are touching and dealing with, especially Dwayne and Kim and their family with their Lyme's disease and so debilitating and now in a situation uh, in New York, where it's n- it's not <laughs> conducent to to getting better, so please help them, God, and even in the situation there is to to get they're in to get better. And we pray for this fire in New Mexico. There's now the largest fire in the nation. That you use those bombers, use those helicopters, God, to and the bulldozers to to make the line that that they can put limits on it, God, so they cannot spread any further. And that you bring the winds down and you keep the fire away from the homes. That it would stop destroying homes, stop destroying lives. So God, and use at Calvary, thank you for using them in a big way. But we do pray that you would continue to use them and bring sanity to the city. So that they're not breaking into the Walmart and stealing things and panicking. Father, just bring order to the city and help people uh, regain their lives that they've lost. Those that have no homes, nowhere to go, no hope. Father, this is a perfect time to put a Christian beside them and explain to them that there's always hope in Christ and to bring them. Thank you for Glorietta, the the Glorietta Center, the um, Conference Center, now the Adventure Center or the Adventure Park, whatever it is. Father, use that, this the Christians there and Glorietta to be ministers of your gospel in a big way as they hand out you know, that glass of, of cold water and helping these people in their time of despair. So thank you, Father. We bless you for this day, and we ask that you guide us the rest of today. In Jesus' name, amen. 
See you guys tomorrow.